The following episode contains discussion of sensitive subject material, including racism. We are releasing this episode out of order from its original recording date. As non-Black people of color, both of us recognize that even we have privilege. So it's our responsibility to publicly confront our own biases in order to become better allies to the Black community. This episode is only one of the many ways that all of us at What Are Friends For will hold ourselves accountable. We are very proud to use this platform to contribute to the anti-racist and Black Lives Matter movement, and will continue to make What Are Friends For a space to listen, nurture, grow, and connect. We are awake, we're listening, and we're not going anywhere. Visit our website to find resources to learn how you can take action and join Black Lives Matter. No, really. What are friends for? Black lives matter. That's what friends are for. It is... June 3rd, 2020, when we are recording this episode. And we, Pallavi and I, usually co-host a few episodes without some guests, and the timing could not be more impeccable to connect with our friends. That's what friends are for. I'm glad we're taking this time because... um... I think what the time demands is for us to listen to what our friends need, what our black friends need and what they need from us is to listen. It's, it's very um, simple yet somehow has been um, every time something happens in our, in our country that sparks this conversation the black community has never changed their tune. They've always asked for the same thing, right? And um, I think it's very sobering whenever more of us realize that we can still do better. There are still things that we haven't done in order for us to um, oblige their request. That's what friends are for. That is. Um, And I think that's what we're trying to do. So you're right. This is a good time for us to sort of check in. um, Be better allies. Call ourselves out. Mm -hmm. um, And also, you know, talk about our action items, I guess. So welcome back, everyone, to What Are Friends For? This is Paula V, Sastry, and Gabrielle Ruiz. We're so excited and honored that you are here listening to this episode because it's very important to us. We are both women of color. We are both women. We um, are not black, and we don't know what it's like, even with our upbringing and our stories and our privileges and our needs to know and not know, and we'll never understand so, um, the, my favorite, 
maybe not my favorite. Nah, maybe it's my favorite. My favorite defense of white privilege is all lives matter. And I, that's like the only one I've gotten so far in response on one of my Instagrams from a personal friend of mine, not from a fan. And it was with an an ellipsis at the end. It was an exclamation point. It wasn't a period, which to me is maybe an opportunity to open the conversation, but there's no room for waiting anymore. There's no room to, um, dismiss. There's no room to avoid. There's no room to say, oh, well, he doesn't understand or, oh, well, he's such a nice guy anyway. And, um, cause black lives matter, then all lives matter when black lives matter. And to be able to do that for my friends who are black is more important than ever. And as a Latina who grew up in a very dominantly Mexican culture in Texas, all I wanted to be was white. And I hated being Mexican. And I, it's, and it's interesting to talk about it later now that I'm out of that culture and I'm away. So now it became, so then I became more proud to be Mexican. Um, some of my family was like, well, why would you be that way? And I was like, cause I was taught to be that way. I was taught to protect myself from being uh, discriminated and to make sure I wasn't, that I, that I would be accepted, that I would be able to be the token dancer with all the other girls and never be put in a blonde wig. Um, and I have fair skin for a Mexican woman. So I do get away with a little bit more, um, a little more of white, white acceptance and not even in quotes, shouldn't even be in quotes, white acceptance. And, um, this week with all the rioting and all the, uh, Los Angeles, and I'm sure in a lot of other bigger cities, um, curfews, we had to run some errands and we still had some work to do at the church after curfew. And I was afraid. I was actually nervous that we had to secure the building. And that's the, that is the surface of what my black friends feel like and their ancestors have felt all their life they walk out their door and they think they're going to die and they're scared for their husband. They're scared for their child. They're scared for their friend. And that hit me real hard this week. So the mm-hmm. exhaustion that I have and the stress and the strong nap I need after <laughs> a glass of wine and like thinking I need to get away from it all. That's my accountability this week as a friend to my black friends and my black community. It's like, I can't, I call it the ostrich effect. Like I can't put my stick, my head on the ground anymore because I can get away with it with a fair skin Latina culture and still like be proud to be, you know, I have my, it, well, I've had my journey. No, it's not about my journey. This is about them and they deserve the time that it's going to take for things to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's been sobering for me this week is that, um, and I, and I've never denied what, uh, the black community and and black Americans have done for this country in general um, and for the success of this country and the sacrifices they've made in order to lift this country up. Um, What, what has been equally sobering for me or doubly sobering, I should say, is that I would not be here if it wasn't for what black people did for us in the civil rights movement. 
So my history lesson, and I, and I sort of knew this, but it just, again, it just like hits me. It's like in the sixties, when the civil rights movement was happening, they got rid of a very disturbing piece of legislature um, that uh, allowed for immigration to be possible for high achieving, high educated Asian people. Mm. And that was in 1965. And shortly after that, the first Sastry came to the U.S. as a scholar, as a as a Ph.D. student, mm-hmm. as an engineer. And many of my generation of first, like many of my uh, peers, first generation South Asian Americans, their parents, my parents benefited from what black people did during the civil rights movement in order for that legislation to happen. And so they were able to come here because white people, um, white people made it, they deemed us okay. They deemed us uh, the model minority. And that's a myth that we carry as a community, Mm. even to this day. And so every, every time I have to, when I look at myself in the mirror with these types of issues, um, I have to tell myself, okay, so if I'm not saying anything, if I'm not, if, you know, if I'm actively not recognizing the amount of prejudice that South Asians have uh, against black people, then I'm denying what they made possible for, for us. Mm. Right. It's like we, us being here is a direct, um, reflection of us wanting to please white people. And I've spent most of my life pleasing white people because I didn't want to get any of my privileges taken away from me. Mm. Right. Yeah. If I'm loud, if I ruffle feathers, if I argue, if I do anything, if I don't, if I do anything, but put my head down and do my work, then it means that I'm not worthy of white acceptance. Hmm. So that's how deep it goes for South Asians and Asians. Yeah. And uh, I was part of a a town hall yesterday where a lot of us uh, South Asian peers in the industry, we sat and we listened to half black, half South Asian people. Oh, I love that talking about how they walk through, yeah, how they walk through life. And we were just like, man, you know, it's not okay whenever we, you know, joke about how our, it's not okay for us to laugh anymore when we talk about how our, how our, you know, grandparents or uncles and aunts used to tell us, don't go out in the sun because then you'll get dark, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's all yeah, this stuff. It's a real it's, thing. And it was so dismissed for forever. Yeah. Like you I'm just so can't. excited. I mean, I'm so happy about this change, but we have to sit in it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's Two a change. lot of it's a lot of microaggressions that we just sort of absorbed as normal. Right. But yeah. what we were normalizing was anti-blackness. And that's what I think is coming to surface. Finally. Yeah. Mm. Finally. <laughs> and there was a family member that said, Gabrielle, whatever you do, don't bring a black man home. Hmm. and I laugh because it's awful and I because it just over it's still and I must have been at least 15 and it overwhelmed me then 
it overwhelmed mm-hmm. me how wrong it was. Like my innate gut didn't want to be Mexican at 15. Remember where I was mm-hmm. in my own path was just like, that is an awful thing to say. What is wrong with black men? And it taught me to find black men unattractive. Oof. It taught me to think black men were unattractive. I never ever was taught that. That mm. find the right man, find, I was always taught to find a white man. And yes, I am mm. married to a white man. And that's not why I've chose Philip. Philip and I met on match. <laughs> and so luckily we had some, you know, writings on the wall kind of experiences. And I'm grateful for that. And his family's wonderful. And um, has nothing, you know, it, that's not why I married Philip, but it's, it's, it did a huge number on me growing up in dating life. And I had a huge conflict with even dating a Mexican man in college with my parents because mm-hmm. of how he was raised. And so there's a lot of issues in the Mexican culture too that consider what's fair and what's dark skin and why that's that makes a difference. So that's even in our culture where if you're darker, you're dirtier, you're less than, you're not as beautiful inside mm-hmm. and out. So again, that is just the surface of what the black community has lived with their entire lives and in generation, it's generational. Mm-hmm. I still have no idea. And right. that's still a privilege. That's still a privilege. And it's exhausting and I need to be exhausted because it's a new muscle. Ooh, it is. Um. What's the most uh, slap in the face social media post that you've seen so far in the last week? You know, since personally, we do Insta- that speaks Insta- to friends. me versus yeah. reality. Yeah, to do Insta friends versus reality is a nice little gut check, right? I mean, what was the one where you were like, oh, God, that one really hit me? Um, oh, um, Broadway is racist. The video that Griffin Matthews posted on his personal Instagram, that's maybe about over 10 minutes long. I think it felt like it. It felt long and it felt needed to be said. And as a Broadway veteran myself, I am proud that there were some opportunities, again, fair-skinned, to be able to be the ethnic lead with Tony Asbick and the show that Vosti and I met on our first guest on season two, Vosti mom point. And Vosti said it in the episode. She was like, I was so proud to see you represent us. But again, I'm not black and it's harder for them. And she is a beautiful dark skinned black woman. Um, and when he said, <laughs> first of all, he go, if you can go watch it, go watch it because and go listen to it. We can give you, we can give it to you in our notes. Um, he talks about as a writer from his perspective and the creative content side of how he was discriminated, bullied, harassed by white supremacy in the Broadway industry and beautifully said as well, eloquently said, passionate, emotional. And at the very end, what hit me the most, he said, and by the way, the Book of Mormon is racist. There. I said it. And that's the ending of his video. 
And every time I would see when the Book of Mormon was on, you know, on Broadway, it still is. We call that a government job, ironically enough, because it's the show that will never close. And if you're in that show, you're like set. You can actually try to buy a mortgage, right? And when he said that, I felt like I wasn't crazy (laughs) when I saw that. And did I say anything? Of course not. I am not going to stand there and say, congratulations, this show is racist. (laughs) I watch South Park. You know, I watch those shows and... And South Park, you know, makes fun of everybody, which has its own thing. And when he said that, I remember thinking when I was in a room and I I was in a room with people and I saw like a video of it for the first time. I never saw it live on Broadway personally, but when I saw the video, I think the first time I saw it was on the Tony Awards probably that year. And I was like, this is okay. Are are black people okay with this? That's what I thought. Mm. I guess... If they're okay with it, then I guess I'm okay with it because I don't want to insult them. But at the same time, like some Mexican jokes aren't funny to me and they never will be. And I don't like tortilla jokes and stuff like that. Like when people think it's funny to talk to me about that, I'm like, it's just not funny. And I, and I won't put, I won't put my culture down like that anymore. And I never want, I always wanted to separate myself. I never put it down, but I just always wanted to separate because I felt like, like you said, it's a disadvantage. And Hmm. when he says that, in his video, I was like, wow. I mean, the bottom dropped out. I, <laughs> he said it and he didn't apologize. And he's right. It's racist. And people have made so much money off of it. And has the black community too? Yes, the black community has made money off of it. But did they have a choice? Could they say anything? No. They would have lost their job. And yeah. you could choose not to audition for that roles, all those roles. Right. You can choose and not have any money. And that's how the white supremacy has been able to control Broadway for years and decades. Yeah. I mean, the the entire producing team, creative team of that show is is white people. So and mostly white men. So it's like, you know, what are they going to do? Like, you know, the what are what what do we do? Like whenever we do we I'm and all of us are put in this position. And again, this is about the black community. But you when you are in a position where you're trying to be part of a piece where it's uh, it's meant to bring joy to people, reflect the times, whatever it may be, and that's your livelihood, more often than not, Black people and people of color are forced to choose between their own humanity and entertainment mm-hmm. and making and make and living and living <laughs> just like everybody else. Yeah. And everybody else isn't everybody else. It isn't everybody. Yeah. It just isn't. And I and I'm I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally drained and I am okay with that. Mm-hmm. And if things slow down and if I gain weight because I'm not eating well because I didn't have time to work out because I'm emotionally drained and listening to all these stories, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. How about for you for the Instagram versus reality segment of our show? <laughs> <laughs> Couple of them. Um one of them I won't really explain uh, because I think it doesn't need to be explained, but it's just a photo of a young uh, black boy. He's maybe, I don't know, four or five years old, and he's always, uh, holding a sign that says, when do I go from cute to scary? Mm. And then I'm not going to go into that one. Um, and the other one was a video that I watched with an author named Sabrina Strings. 
and she wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. I saw you post that. Mm-hmm. I and I'm, I just bought the book. I'm waiting for it to come in. Mm. And I'm going to read it because as somebody who is a little shapelier and has a curvier body and has been uh, compared to black women, but also been put down by South, my South Asian community for having that kind of body because we've always been told to achieve uh, European standards of beauty. Yes. Um, when I listened to her 20 minute interview and she was talking about how even the science around being like the, the connection that science uh, experts in the 17th, 18th, 19th century were doing their research based on was rooted in racism and it was because they viewed a shapelier, curvy, black body as equivalent to gluttony, meaning overeating and being greedy. So they catered the science to prove themselves right. Hmm. So there isn't a direct correlation between your health and the size of your body. <laughs> yes. And so as somebody who's been struggling with like body image issues, especially after giving birth and like thinking to myself, oh, I'll get back to mm-hmm. what the hell am I trying to get back to? You like you, you brought life yeah. into this world. Yeah. Like what the hell am I trying to get back to? I'm trying to get back to white acceptance of my European beauty standards. Right. Check that. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get back to. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? Like it's because they told me to that because they told me to. And so I said, okay, that means that you'll, you'll accept me and give me employment and, yes. you know, view me a certain way. And what, what is that for? Like, <laughs> yes. And, and, and I love the body image platforms right now that are trying to change that already mm-hmm. before this whole black lives mattered. And not before this, like before this pivotal week for Black Lives Matter. And Mm -hmm. it's been helpful for me. I mean, I had weigh-ins in college as a dance major and it was grueling. And to be able to, I remember when I went up a a pant size in maybe season four of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, three years, going into three years of marriage, I told Melina Root, the costume designer, I said, I'm I'm sorry, Melina, you have to get me new pants, but I'm just so happy. Because I wasn't stressed and miserable and, and again, grateful for New York. I've always said it, but I don't miss the stress. I don't miss the exhaustion. I don't miss not feeling like the, the demands kept me. My stress was I, food would smell like dirt. It would mm. taste like dirt. That's how I would stress whenever I, like, if I had an injury in a show and I would try to eat before the show already nervous because of the show, already because I was dancing. I didn't want to throw, feel like, you know, acid reflux in the show. Despite all that, if I had an injury, I was very, I would be very emotionally drained to the point where a bagel tasted like dirt. And that was my like eating mental disorder of just like so stressed and unhappy that food lost its flavor. And so for me, 
going up a few pant size now in LA. I just, that's what I said. I'm just, I'm, and I even apologize for being happy. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's said in a way to like, at least uh, not be so hard on myself, but I understand that. And after you're done reading that book, I'd like to have it. Yeah. You can pass it to me. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a lot of these things, right? It's like, you know, a lot of these, um, movements like the body positive movement, you know, uh, one of my favorite people to follow is Ashley Graham and she's married to a black man. Mm -hmm. And she says all the time, she's like, what I'm saying is not new (laughs) y'all. Like I am not revolutionary here. An aha moment. (laughs) Black women have been celebrating their curvy bodies long before my ass was born. (laughs) And just the fact that I have this privilege is the fact that is, is why you guys are listening to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, shit, like, you're right. Like, I should be flooding my feed with more black body positive women, mm. <laughs> you know? Which is what I do love the Blackout Tuesday was all about, which was yesterday, June 2nd, 2020, where you post a black image, a black total color block. Mm-hmm. on your Instagram to create space for Black Lives Matter movement and posting content about Black culture, Black history, Black artists, Black movement, everything. Yeah. Uplifting all Black people. And just so you know, because of this week, what I learned, I was never comfortable saying Black to my Black friends. I always would struggle with using the word African-American because I didn't know and I wouldn't educate myself. Hmm. And I was also afraid to ask my black friends because I thought it would offend them that I didn't know. Hmm. And I'm not blaming anyone. I'm, I'm more just speaking my vulnerability and my fear to speak up and to say, I don't know. And I want, and I hope this week, especially for the younger generation and maybe hopefully someone in their sixties feels like they can ask. Right. And I've done, and I feel like that has been my first step in change for me is asking more. I asked my friend Charlie, I said, do I post the, you know, the fist in the air black image for that? Or do I post the black one? What, what do I do? There's, it's also pride month. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's all, and my friend Charlie is gay. And I'm like, you're gay and black. What do I do? <laughs> right. And he said, keep your face, keep your, keep your image because I, I want them to see that it's you standing up for me because mm. then a black person becomes an icon. And I think I said, did I say this already? This Maybe mm-hmm. I said this in our pre-talk before we started recording. Then that black image, that fist in the air image becomes, um, it makes me not a human. It dehumanizes me. Mm-hmm. And then I have a friend that says, you know, thank you for, you know, for the whole blackout Tuesday when that's all I see on my feed. And someone else, my friend Marcy, she was like, all I'm getting are ads and I'm not feeling represented. And she posts this beautiful color, color image of her with her design, like her fashion design and like this gorgeous, like uh, mural behind her. And, you know, so are there wrong ways to do things? Yes. <laughs> and we're in a pool of the unknown to, for me. Mm-hmm. to do it right. And so I love that a lot of this Blackout Tuesday is about listening. Mm-hmm. I am listening because we haven't done that before because it hasn't worked yet. Right. Yeah. And, you know, not exhausting our Black friends with the, uh, you know, how, how, what, you know, don't make them take care of our own feelings about this. You know, that's the other thing I'm hearing. 
right? It's like, no, it is not your problem how I feel about this. So like every time I've reached out, I, I sent a slew of texts yesterday uh, to uh, five or six of my black friends and um, black couples and uh, that we're very close with. And I said, hey, I don't know if you need this from me, but uh, I'm just doing a mental health check-in. And uh, I just want you to know I'm leveling up and I love you. <laughs> you know, that's that's about all I had you know, and, uh, that, because I didn't need them to take care of me or anything like that. One of them, uh, one of my friends wrote back and she said, um, I never need you to achieve perfection. I just, I appreciate you for appreciating me. Hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. That, you know, and I think, you know, you and I talk about often how we're type a, we, we execute, we get shit done and we're, we're looking, we're always looking to do things perfectly, but there's just no perfection here. No. Right. <laughs> There's just trying to do better. Literally yeah. just try to do better. And yeah, I love that you did that. I reached out to a few friends, including Vosti, one of our guests and Charlie, mm-hmm. who I talked about. I haven't reached out to Carly, which I should and mm-hmm. um, see how she's doing. Another guest on the show. And, and some people have responded. Thank you. Some people have just, you know, did the little heart thing on the text. And then some people haven't, because like I said, there's a vast amount of trauma that they have to deal with and feeling maybe uh, pressure to talk about it and they're not ready. So it's going to be a while, everybody, and get on for the fucking ride. Right. It's time. 2020 right. cannot suck. It has right. to make us better. Mother Earth is yelling at us. <laughs> the Black community is yelling at us. And those are two things that need to be put in the forefront. It's like a blister and it's bursted and it's nasty. And it just mm-hmm. takes time. You can't wear the same shoes you're used to that make you comfortable. You have to let it air out. <laughs> you have yeah. to let it air out and you have to let it breathe and you have to let it heal. And then it's going to callous right. and get stronger, you know? And right. as ugly as that depiction or that description of how it, to me is what it looks like, I think it's necessary to talk ugly and talk about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And my my family is very red and very conservative and a lot of them voted for Trump and I have always been, I've always said, I was like, you know, I just don't, there was one, another like Instagram versus reality thing. Like there's like people that say, I'm just not that political. And I always said, I just didn't have something that really made me want to learn about basic politics. And that was in my twenties. And I felt like when Obama came in, that was like so eye opening for my ethnicity in general. Uh, of being feeling represented as a minority. And then with everything that's gone down since then, um, with the women's movement, with Hillary, with Trump, everything, I feel like I've never felt more empowered than ever. Mm. And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because it's not about me. It's it's about other people. And I have the power to vote. And I have the power to bring humans into this life to make right. this world a better p- place. And that to me gives me hope that it cannot, it cannot get worse because I have the power to, to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's my responsibility. Humanity is not a partisan issue. <laughs> like it's just not mm-hmm. humanity is, is it, it, you're, you're, it's either right or wrong. There's not, there's not much, in between. It's like, are you giving space, making space and upholding somebody's humanity or are you not? Right. It's one or the other. Yeah. (laughs) It's just one or the other. 
And the gray area in between is the steps that you take in order to get there. That's really all it is. Yeah. And and also I want to say to our listeners, if you're listening to this, know that we're we're expressing what we're doing, not telling you what to do. There is many ways to do it. So I encourage, we encourage all of you to go to the source and figure out what is right for you in what right for them, really. Right. It's like, Absolutely. what is right for them? What is right for the ones that you love for the black friends that you love, the black people that you love and do that and you know? ask, ask, and ask. You can do that yeah. and be humble and take, and take the opinion because that answer comes from a place of a lot of hurt and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be time to be angry about it. There needs to have space. There, there needs to be space to be depressed about it. There, it's like, you know, the steps <laughs> to, yeah. to, to recovery and you get on. And I, so that's what I mean. Like it's not going to get over next week, guys. It's just not, it's in, it, mm-hmm. it's been a long time coming and it's, it's how every civil rights movement makes the books and histories because it's, it, it has to blister for a long time and it has to be nasty for a second and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And this is a Wednesday. We usually record on Thursdays closer to the end of the week and we record on Wednesday for me. Thank you because of some other gigs and stuff. But I have to say, I am so grateful we have this podcast because I get to catch up with you mm-hmm. and this is recorded forever. And so I have to think about what I'm going to say. I can't just like have a glass of wine with you in your porch and feel safe to be like, maybe I said something wrong. No, it's it's time. It's time to hold ourselves accountable and like what you said, level up. So I'm grateful for you for inviting me onto this podcast to co-host because we both have platforms. We both represent many wonderful things and it's time to level those up too. And I think what our friends for can do that. And I'm grateful for that. Agreed. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful to have you here and uh, grateful to all of you listening. And uh, yeah, we just hope to continue to be a source of joy uh, a resource in general. And, um, we hope to keep being able to, to be really open with you all and, and, uh, start a dialogue where there, where it needs to be started. So with that, I love you, Paula V. I love you too, Gabrielle. We'll see you next time on what are friends for take care. Black lives matter. One, two, three, four. This episode was produced by Team Access Productions and Fastnickel Inc. Our supervising producer is Philip Ascension. Our consulting producers are Kathleen Cho and Megan Densmore. Our production assistants are Alex Udome and Susie Cabello. Special thanks to Samantha Wiener and Hari Savitala. Our podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh. Original music by Joey Sherman. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it now. This really helps our show's visibility and it lets us keep making it for you. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at WAFF Podcast. That's W-A-F-F Podcast. And email any questions, requests, and positive feedback to whatourfriendsforpodcast at gmail.com. We truly appreciate you all checking in with us online. But you know that friend that you've been like, oh, I really haven't checked in with that person in a while. Go do that. Yeah, go do that now.